0: Welcome to The Red Podcast, a place where bold, inspired, outrageously courageous, and just a tad bit naughty women leaders come together. I'm Elaine Kalila, and I'm the founder of the Priestess Presence Temple, a sisterhood of over 80,000 women. For the past 25 years, I've had the great pleasure and privilege of supporting, inspiring, catalyzing, and initiating women to remember who they are The Red Podcast is a place where you can come to lean into your edges, listen for that which yearns to be expressed more fully through you, and to say yes to the places that probably scare you. More importantly, I'm going to be talking with some amazing women who are spiritual and grounded, and we're going to be chatting about what it takes for each one of us to step into the legacy of our purpose and fully bring it to the world that we're here to co-create. Your presence is a gift, so I say bring it. We're here to listen to your red, your leading edge, that place of evolution within you. Hope you enjoy the conversations. Well, hello, hello there, my beautiful red women out there in the world. It is Elaine Kalila here for another wonderful episode of The Red Podcast. And today I have with me a... Amazing sister. Her name's Becca Piastrelli and I have known Becca over the years. We were just trying to figure this out because my memory is so bad. Um, but I have known her from about five or six or even seven years ago. We met up at a retreat that Nisha Moodley was running somewhere in Costa Rica and then we were in Bali together and I've been tracking her through the years and I was aware, Becca, that you wrote a book last year that was published last year. So congratulations on that. We're gonna be talking all about that today. And you also had a baby <laughs> like an actual baby, physical baby. So I wanted to bring Becca on. The name of her book is so yummy and delicious that I want you all to know about it. And I also really want to talk about it. It's called Root and Ritual, which I mean, come on. And um and I wanna get into talking about that because this whole idea of root and ritual has been something that's been fundamental in my own life within the work that I've been doing in Priestess Presence, within the work that I've been doing with my own ancestry lines. And so I'm excited to get into the conversation with you. Welcome, love.
1: Thank you. I just adore you. And I'm so honored to be asked on your podcast.
0: Oh, my God. Well, I've been having so much fun doing this podcast, way more fun than I thought I was going to have. And that's, um, fun in the sense of like I, I said to somebody the other day, I'm a sapiophile and part of my love in life is other people's minds and the way that we think and the way that we conceptualize of things. And so I'm excited to delve into your mind, your heart, your womb space to to, to really hear your wisdom. So why don't you share a little bit with us about what prompted you, well, what the book is about in general, but what prompted you to devote so much of your life force to writing this book around this specific subject matter? So wherever you want to start in there, Becca, go for it.
1: Sure. Yeah. The book is really, um, lessons learned over the last maybe decade of my life, uh, and a real realization that we are alive in a time that many are calling the age of loneliness. Mm-hmm. I remember I heard that from uh mm-hmm. one great thinker George Monbiot he's a he's a British environmentalist and journalist and mm-hmm. and that resonated for me as an as an extrovert as a person with friends as a former sorority sister I was like wait that feels important and true and that really began this journey of understanding like a core wound I feel and so many feel of of unbelonging a sense of like I can't quite feel at home in myself I can't quite feel at home in my community I can't quite feel at home in a group of friends I can't quite feel at home um, where I live I just feel root rootless Mm. and this idea of the age of loneliness resonated for me in this modern time that we are more technologically connected than ever before. I mean, Kalila, you and I could talk over like 25 different apps and (laughs) it's, you know, it's beautiful. The internet is beautiful because that's why we're talking right now. And it's been so beautiful for my life. And there is, you know, in measured mental health, um, stats, this real uptick in a sense of, loneliness, anxiety, despair. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, um, and that just felt true in my own experiences of life. And so I was like, why, 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 why? And so this had me going back, not only in my own ancestral history Mm -hmm. as, uh, as a descendant of colonizers here on Turtle Island in North America, but also as someone who has a feeling and always knew in my bones that we human beings gathered and nourished each other and lived our lives in different ways than we do now. Uh, And that started for me with just like herbalism and making things with my hands. I used to, when you met me, I was the dabblist. I was a blogger, I was on Pinterest. But that was like the breadcrumb for me into this powerful realization that we as, it really resonated for me, we as women used to be Together and used to do things together. And I don't mean to romanticize it so much that it, we don't acknowledge like that life was hard for our ancestors. But I thought there are some things about the way our ancestors used to live that we could bring into this modern time to support us in feeling a deeper sense of belonging. So the book is what I found worked for me and it's an offering to others and it's broken into four areas, land, lineage, community, and the self. And it has recipes and rituals and practices and my own story and it's beautifully illustrated and it's really meant to get you out of your head and into your body and be in the act of doing life differently
0: to feel better. Mm. Well, I I have a copy of your book and it's not only is it gorgeous because the illustrations are so so beautiful but there is this sense of entering into this timelessness when you when you start to look at the pages and read the words and the invitations that you're making to us to consider what it is that we want to create in our lives right around connection and one of the things that I, I you know one of the reasons i was sparked to reach out to you is because i've just done a couple of podcasts myself on what is home and mm-hmm what home is. And I was back in the UK for two months just recently. Um, And that was the longest period of time i have been back into the UK since I left when I was 27, which was 27 years ago. So I'm right at the halfway mark. I was 27 years in England and 27 years here. And one of the things I was reflecting on a lot was this sense of where do we root into right what do we root into and i think for so many obviously of those of us who are born here in America and are coming from different parts of the world, are immigrants here, right? Myself, I'm a much more recent immigrant with roots somewhere else, but those roots have been, what I would say have been truncated or in some cases withered and died, or in other cases have been misunderstood, right? And there's this call, I think, um, from a lot of the women that I have spoken with and worked with in different communities for us who are of white descent, who are from Anglo-Saxon descent, from the Western European root lineages to reco cohere co- 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 our roots, right? Who our ancestors were, what our lineages were. And one of the things I come up against, Becca, and I'm curious to hear you talk about this, is a lot of people I talk to will go, well, I don't know where my people came from and I, I'm not connected to them. I'm not you know, part of them. I'd love to hear your point of view on that because I've had this conversation with a lot of different people and I'm curious what you say to those people, what you say to yourself, you know, around how do we connect with our ancestral rituals when we maybe don't even know who these ancestors were or we haven't even visited that country or, you know, we don't feel connected.
1: Yeah, (laughs) of course. Yeah. So, and I, I get, I get folks who uh, automatically default ancestral connection to genealogy, which is there's two different things. And genealogy is a function of privilege. It's a function of who could read or write, who had access to records. Uh, And, you know, and often the, the keepers of the records were the church Christian churches. So there's so we can just read between the lines there about who was not captured who was not collected and Mm -hmm. um you know i hear this from people of mixed race or of color or folks who are adopted um there's just there's so much in there and so or have no interest in recent ancestors for reasons of trauma of needing to create boundaries around that and so i i hear that i i honor that and ancestral connection is for everyone because uh human beings and and beyond what came before human beings. So what came before us was uh, other animals and mushrooms and trees and stardust. So I also bring that in as ancestral connection because that sometimes feels safer for some people. But um, there are just so many methods. I share this in the lineage section of the book, there are so many ways for us to connect with our ancestors. And it is a birthright. I honestly believe because Mm
0: -hmm.
1: our ancestors lived however they lived. And because of that, we are alive because Mm -hmm. of that. You are alive. Mm -hmm. Like they led to you. And guess what? There are millions of them, millions, billions, right. That, that, didn't just live, you know, in that little, like, shire, you know, that didn't just live. Sometimes we can be very obsessed with the nationality. Right. I, have an, I have an Italian husband. I have an Italian last name. And his family is so just, like, attached to, like, the Piestrelli, like, that name. And it's, like, actually, what we figured out is they were in Italy for, like, a hot second. <laughs> Before then, they were migrating from the Balkans. And also this idea of, of borders and nationality is new is yeah. new in human history that really like what most of our ancestors knew were like the waterways, the mountain, the trees, the soils, the mm. weather patterns, the consistency of the moon, of the seasons, of the cycles. So mm. I, I share that to breathe some space into mm. what ancestral connection practice can be for anyone i often say start with your dreams i often say let's do a journey together i often say build an altar and anything can be your answer it doesn't have to be a black and white picture from the war (laughs) you know on your altar it could be a stone it could be a drawing of a nameless faceless one because Mm -hmm. the reality is we don't know the names and faces and stories of 99% of those we came from. So, how can we bring some gnosis work? How can we bring some intuition work? How can we bring some ritual work into connecting with them because they are a part of our vast and wide root system and mm. the reason we're here today?
0: Mm. Breathe some space into it. I love it because I agree with you 110% because a lot of what I end up doing in my work is exactly that because we're, when we're re the roots of the lineages of priestesses, for example, of medicine women, of sacred seers and oracles, we have no history left that was eradicated, you know, it, and it, besides which most of it wasn't all an history anyway, it was passed down. Right. And we, we have what I call in an art, an art of remembering, like so remembering. And how do we remember? And it's like you said, through the dream time, through journeying, through listening, through going with our intuition. So I would love, love, love to hear your perspective and your own journey and the work that you've done over the years you know this whole idea of reclaiming um ancestral rituals into our modern day lives like what how does that even look like what would you consider an ancestral ritual that you've reclaimed into modern life just so Um, we understand what that means
1: oh well i (laughs) i have to start in my response with talking about what I did initially which is what I find a lot of folks do initially is they want to find the pristine prior tradition this is a term Sophie Macklin um, talks about of like I went to Ireland and I was around the Beltane fire and the Bealtaine fire and I was like trying to learn Irish and like to honor this one you know this one part of my lineage and I was like we're doing exactly what my ancestors did. And it was like, no, we're not. We're not. Who knows? And also was probably dirtier, you know, and maybe it wasn't here, you know, and this nice farmer, let us all be here tonight. And it's like being live streamed on Facebook. But like, you know, there's this desire, I think particularly those of us who are descended from Western Europe to, I think, rest in this sense of like, we're going to find exactly what our ancestors did to feel connected and do it again. And I think what that does is it, it completely negates the fact that we are ancestors ourselves, that we are the myth makers and ritual crafters of our time, that we are literally writing the stories that our descendants will tell, whether they're descended from our bodies or descended from our legacy of, from our impact. And And I think that's something that we do is like we cut off our own, the power of our living and being like that you and I are in some sort of a transmission that who knows who will come across it and when and how. The way we come across like ancestral artifacts, the way we come across these bits of pottery, the way we come across these old letters. And so... Once I really figured that out, like it landed, I was very scared because I thought, I don't know what I'm doing. Someone tell me how to do ritual and very nice people t- did. And and then I finally found my way to, oh, I can trust what's moving through me, the art of remembering, right? Mm-hmm. And find ritual in, in every moment. And it is all sacred. So The way I think about like ancestral reclamation is like the way I tend my garden, the way I tend the potted plant in my temperature controlled office, you know, that's still like tending to a living, Mm -hmm. a living, um, thing that provides nourishment to me and I provide nourishment to it. Oh, that's an ancestral practice, right? Or how I nourish my body, how I bathe and take a shower. I especially because I became a mother and all my very ornate rituals went out the door. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't have time for all the bells and smells, which I dearly miss and one day we'll come back to. But it's like, how could I see like breastfeeding my child in the middle of the night? How could I see myself as the tree of life? nourishing her from from all of time, from all beings and my body being the vessel through which ancestral nourishment occurs. it's a mind shift mm. I see it all and it I think it colors this sort of grayness that whiteness and capitalism and and um, just like this severing from like the great mystery happens, it just starts to breathe life and color back into it so that beauty can be created from living
0: yeah let's just sit with that the beauty can be created from living you know as you're talking i, I kind of have this feeling of um a shift in time and your the title of your book is timeless, right? Is this timeless? And I keep thinking about how I understand ancestors and the ancient ones to be the timeless ones, right? That we're, when we're accessing into that field of knowing or gnosis, we're in a timeless space. We're in the kairos time, the circular time, the time of liminality of no beginnings and ends where we're between, betwixt and between the worlds and that what the function of ritual really is, which is to shift our awareness to shift out of the mundane to have the sacred have space to have room for that um and that is something that lives that for me lives within our dna like that is what humans have been doing since the beginning of time time again right since the beginning of their awareness of cycles of time is creating ritual to connect with the other parts of us that are unseen Mm. so i really want to acknowledge what you're saying and how our right how our right brain gets really fixated on you know like you said like, well i'm going to find the exact ritual from my people and resurrect it you know it makes me think of those dramatic enactments you know when people get dressed mm. in the <laughs> Oh, I love those. <laughs> <laughs> we all love those, but it's kind of funny, right? It's like, a yeah, funny, oh, yeah. it's like, well, I'm sure they didn't actually really wear, you know, these clothes that we've got on because like this is a rendition of it, right? It's our modern day interpretation of it. And yet what you're speaking to is something that's way more organic in Mm -hmm. in your life and like you said i want to just go back to something you said earlier on because i think that this is a way in for a lot of people you came into this through herbalism through Mm -hmm. working with the plants and i'm kind of curious what the plants began to awaken in you that helped you start connecting into this way of thinking and living that you're now talking about because i think for many of us we start we can start there For me, Mm -hmm. for me, it was essential oils. It was working with the oils, right? That really awakened a fascination with my relationship to the plant kingdom. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear you talk a bit about that because I think there's some key in there for us.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's very cool to be talking to you about this because you were there in those early (laughs) days. I
0: remember. I remember.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, so my, yeah, it, it wasn't some big moment yeah. for me. It wasn't some crisis. Uh, it wasn't some, you know, massive rite of passage that initiated me into the, the mysteries. It was a very subtle call. Mm. Uh, I mean, it was like the beautifully displayed lemons at Whole Foods. It was like a curiosity about kombucha. It was like, I had loose leaf tea for the first time, uh, you know, these little moments, I, I all of a sudden became obsessed with farmer's markets. And I, I wanted to learn how to make bread. I, side note, this happened to almost all of us in the beginning of lockdown. Yes, it did. Remember, everyone wanted to make sourdough and like seed banks sold out and chicks sold oh. out. I feel like, where are these chickens now?
0: Pickling jars, you couldn't buy those because everybody yeah. everything. <laughs>
1: So there's, there's the remembrance, right? There's the remembrance right there. So that was a similar thing for me. I was working in a corporate job. There was some part of me that was really unfulfilled. I had watched enough TV to realize that wasn't going to do it. I hadn't gone to enough happy hours to realize that wasn't going to do it. And it was, it was a, a subtle, but persistent calling and it started with like playing and then I loved it. And then I started going to workshops and then I started reading books and then I started to have waking visions. I'd have these visions. At first I was like, did I see this on a movie? Then I realized, no, it was these visions I had of when I'd be just like figuring out how to make lip balm or pouring wax for a candle where I'd be like, oh there's all these women around a table and there's a fire in the hearth I didn't even know what hearth was yet but I was like hearth, hearth, hearth yeah and and they they birthed each other's babies and they knew how to give each other herbs to not get pregnant And they and when they were sick they would make each other soups and it was just like <gasps> my whole body just like came online in this way where that felt like not just like a quaint thing it felt big and important and like, I don't know, some people have said I had a past life regression, who knows? It just felt real and important and it has never stopped feeling
0: real and important to me. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And when I hear you talking about it, Becca, I, you know, I, I love you, you know, she, you said that, you know, your original work was, you called yourself the dabalist and you were a blogger. And I remember coming across you as the dabalist and mm-hmm. What the heck's the dabblest? She's dabbling in things over there, right? <laughs> dabbling and how that's grown. And I think that what for many of us, and that's how life is, right? Is we find the breadcrumb and then that leads us to the next breadcrumb. And for most of us who are on the path of resurrecting the feminine, the divine feminine, the feminine ways, our lineages and legacies as women, which is a lot of what this podcast is really about, is standing in leadership around that. I think that's how it works. You know, I think we're we're given these little, little pieces and, and you get to explore them and let yourself see what begins to emerge so one of the things that strikes me about this way of living you said you know going to the farmers markets and just connecting in were you was this also an awakening for you around the cyclical living and because I think that this is a, right this is a massive piece of um, our feminine mysteries if you will that has been completely obliterated for most of us and the return this connection we have into the cycles of life. I'm curious about how that woke up through this for you.
1: Yeah, I was really into um, the moon, (laughs) you know, (laughs) the moon phases. I was, I was into the full moon because I think just from popular culture, I was like, okay, witchy howling wolves, that feels exciting. Uh, And then I, I remember um, just coming across people talking about, uh, how like my menstrual cycle was connected to the moon cycle and, and the tides of the ocean. And I remember I sat with that for a solid two weeks, like bink, what? Wow. And it, and at the time I wasn't cycling, I had, um, I had an IUD in my body and, and, uh, I remember weeping over that all of a sudden really just being like, I, I've cut that off. And, and so then I removed it and then I started cycling again and bleeding. And, and then I read the red tent. So many of us read the red tent and I thought, okay, that, you know, more visions, right. Of being in the tent and wanting to be in the tent. And, and in my herbalism practice, I, I was, I was just like reading on the internet and in books and going to a few workshops. So I was sort of not, really with the plants i was reading about and hovering over the plants for a long time and I, I remember i tried to make an elder flower pancake in the dead of winter and it went really wrong and it was like powdered elder flower. and then i i remember telling someone and they were like why would you make elder flower when they're not flowering do you know that like it's elderberry time like what about elderberry syrup? And I realized like, Oh, things flower in the spring. And then they, and then all, and then I started getting really obsessed and drawing over and over that sort of like wheel, right? The wheel we see, which is like the phases of the moon. But I was really obsessed with planting the seed and then the sprout and then the flower and then the fruit and then the seed again. And then, nothing and then and that to me was like okay okay it's going in a circle and then being like the phases of a woman's life like the phases of a day <laughs> the months of the year and it just like ding 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 you know and so and so that's
0: how it went that's how it went gosh you're making me giggle because you and I did exactly the same thing Oh, did we? <laughs> This was about 25 years ago for me, and I was like, I, I remember sitting with it. this is before computers, right, before we were really working on this kind of technology. I remember sitting on the floor with a huge patch, patched together cardboard, drawing concentric circles, writing all these things from from the, the parts of the day to the parts of the week to the parts of the month, to the parts of the year to the epoch to the galaxy, like, like from the fractal to, you know, like the biggest level that I could get to and how it all correlated in this map and I was like oh my god like I felt like Nostradamus I felt like you know (laughs) I I discovered like some key to the universe and the truth of the matter is I had actually remembered and made this connection to the cyclical time and to the this this feminine wisdom that basically teaches us the eternal return Mm -hmm. time is cyclical. The Ouroboros eating her tail, the, the notion that we go, yeah, from seed to sprout, to bud, to bloom, to waxing and back into seed again. And then it starts over. And that this is embedded in our bodies. Mm-hmm. It's embedded in the land. And I think when, you talk, when you're talking about the, the root and the ritual, that's what you're talking about, right? that That doesn't belong to anyone Person, culture, tribe, lineage, like that is what it means to be human. We all live underneath the same stars and the same moon and the same sun. We all see Venus rise and set. We all see, right? And so there's something primordial in that that is not about um, going back in time. It's actually about living in timelessness. And so I just really honor that in you and I I wonder how many of you who are listening have had that epiphany you know you found one breadcrumb or one part of the fractal and then you went oh my god I just found the whole thing yeah how exciting that was you know and and how it made so much sense and how suddenly I was like things made more sense to me about oh this is how life is life you you live and die many times in a life (laughs) thank you (laughs) that's useful information (laughs) oh my god so i know we we're we're coming towards the end of time but i want to ask you this other piece around um you shared something with me before we got live on the recording and i asked becca where she was now living and i knew that she was been living in marin in northern california and you you announced to me that you're actually about to move to a farm (laughs) New York, and, wow! And one of the things I I know that you talk about is a concept called revillaging and I have a suspicion that your move to the farm in upstate New York might have something to do with that. So I wanted to just weave that in at the end of your current exploration of what you're up to next. So mm. why don't we touch chat about that for a moment?
1: <laughs> yeah, this is hot off the press. This is like this is this is like the latest we've been holding it very close yeah. and it's all happening now. Yeah. Tim, my partner, Tim and I, for many years have thought like, okay, we would like to live in a four season place. California was feeling, he grew up in California. He actually grew up on a farm, uh, early apple farm with his like Italian great grandfather straight off the boat really. So he has that, Route, I don't. And we, we've just been felt, we felt called East. I'm from the East coast. Uh, and we, we just didn't know what it meant and we weren't ready to leave. And he's worked in tech in San Francisco and, it, and then, and then we had a baby and you look at your legacy in front of your face and it changes, you know, you're born again, you know, that's a death rebirth portal right there, having a child, and you reorient your priorities. Mm -hmm. And so I remember we had this, this talk one night where we were like, okay. And we fully did ritual around it. We did visioning. I'm looking at my altar behind my computer, which has this like beautiful painted image of like a farm and yurts and little houses and people in a shared garden. And we would just talk about it over and over. Like where would, what would we do and where would the people go and who would we provide sanctuary for and how would we live with the land? And um and i remember on the winter solstice this past year we our nanny had gone to salem massachusetts and brought back from this witchy shop a a house spell kit that had a skeleton key and essential oil and you were supposed to hold this skeleton key and envision your home and then write on a piece of paper and put it in this little envelope and put it on your altar and we did it and then we were searching and searching and searching. We thought it was in Vermont. And then this land in the Hudson Valley called to us. There was a beautiful school for our daughter. And and we thought, okay, we're going to buy land and build over the next few years. But then this home, this farm had everything on our list. Everything. Wow. Exactly the amount of money we had in our bank account.
0: Magic
1: <laughs> Yes. So we said yes, terrified, shaking. We said yes to a farm with elderly animals and and a lake and a, a beautiful home built in the 1860s and a home that we can put my parents in and space to build tiny homes and put up yurts and and be in the imperfect practice of revillaging whatever that means because that is a whole exploration we're in around Is it a is it a commune? Is it knocking down fences? Is it a place for people to come in and out? Is it a place to host gatherings? Like we don't know. And we are just moving step by step. So we said yes to the land. And now we're very slowly planning a migration from California, closing down a lot of projects and things and partnerships we had here, waiting for the winter to complete, mud season, we'll head over there and then we've made a commitment to live on the land for a year to hear it, see it, feel the seasons, get to know the farms around there, and then start sowing our seeds. Uh, and and I'm very I'm strategically telling people that I would love to be in community with, like, just so you know, <laughs> this is happening, and I don't know what it means, and and you know, stay tuned. But it it's very surreal i feel the timelessness of this experience right now where i feel like what did i just do and this was always meant to happen and we planned it and and like a a visioning into the future and seeing us of the past and feeling my ancestors doing the same and um it's a wild beautiful gift of an experience that we are undertaking
0: wow and I and kind of feel your willingness to step into the mystery of it, right? Say yes to it. But
1: really- I'd say having our child made us much more comfortable with stepping into the mystery.
0: <laughs> well, that's that portal, right?
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Wow. Well, I'm so excited to see what comes from that, knowing your creative, um, you know, your creative muse and your own ability to be able to be so eloquent about what your own journey has been and to invite others into that in such a generous way, I I think I can only imagine what will get birthed is what I'm saying is like from that vision, from the magic that you um, w- walked into that you aligned with to to open the doorway for this to happen. And I just think it's so, so beautiful. And I can't wait to see what you, what you end up building and what gets created from that because who knows? Who knows? I don't. All right. That's the whole point, right? Is that part of what we, you know, a root, what you're rooting into, though, is a vision that's come through the work of the last few years, right? And your willingness to actually live your life into that is part of how we then give birth to that vision in ways that we can't even imagine. So mm. that's been true for my own life, you know, I've just. Had to, Sometimes I've said to myself, gosh, you know, there's this feeling like where, where I, I think sometimes there's a naivete I have where I'll say yes to things. This is part of my nature that's like, yeah, let's do it. And then halfway through leaping off the cliff, I'm going, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> am I doing do? Right? Oh, my God. What now? You know, mm-hmm. as I'm in three, four off the edge of the cliff to the next vista, um, that has been pretty much my life story. <laughs> And in that moment of the free fall, that's when there is that in that inordinate trust that the net will appear, that we will create what we're going to create. Mm-hmm. It's time, right, to allow ourselves to be renewed, reborn. And so I want to thank you, Becca, for being here and sharing your beautiful wisdom with us. If there's something that you like to oh, oh, I know what we need to do. There's Three questions that Red loves to ask. Okay. I'm really just here on behalf of her. So let me just pull up my questions because I want to make sure I get, remember them correctly here. But I ask them to everybody who's ever come on the show. And so um, in honor of Red, who is obviously the Magdalene woman, ah, who holds the origins of our sovereign power, I'm going to ask Becca these questions. Okay, Becca. What do you avoid, but secretly yearn to express? Mm. (laughs) Oh, I
1: think, um, like the wild woman in me, you know, like like mud on the face, howling at the moon, like undulation kind of dancing around the fire. Yeah. I, I see that in you. <laughs> what are you devoted to? Uh re-villaging in modern ways that are sustainable and actually serve all beings.
0: Beautiful. And then the final question is, what is the most revealing thing about you that you hide? Oh. <laughs> um. I'm really
1: silly, like extremely silly. Kind of a dark humor. I love a meme. I love TikTok. <laughs> I I talk about such serious things. Like, I really, really do. I talk about like death and compost, <laughs> and I'm also like <laughs> I want, and I'm really trying to share that more because levity is key to all of this
0: isn't it though isn't it though oh thank you i invite for your lunacy my darling your playfulness, your silliness in service to this transformation that you're seeking to also hold because a lot of the time for me it's through laughing at myself that i get to actually change things the absurdity of it all so i i welcome your dark humor (laughs) (laughs) love a good name
1: I know they're really nice <laughs> I,
0: love, I love the cleverness of a good meme I'm like oh someone nailed it
1: <laughs> oh I love these memes that are going around I think Sarah of Magdalene has been sharing them um of like really old European like medieval art with like commentary on top pop culture commentary oh it's
0: good it's good it's good it's good No, I love it. All right, my loves. Well, you can find out more about Becca on her Facebook page, also on Instagram. Um, You can go and visit her website and you'll find her book on Amazon, Root and Ritual. I highly recommend it. And I recommend um, a podcast that she has called Belonging, which is also really beautiful. It's been going on for quite a long time, right? That podcast. Yeah, yeah. I looked today and I was like, (gasps) oh, A lot of episodes on there.
1: I know I'm sticking with it, I quite enjoy it.
0: Isn't it fun? Yeah. Uh, well, so from my heart to all of you, I hope you've enjoyed our conversation today. I'll be back with yet another extraordinary red podcast in the very near future. And until then, you can always find me on Instagram at elaine.kalina or over on my website, elainekalina.com. Blessings, my loves. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Red Podcast. It's been an honor to have you here with us. As Red women, we are here leading from the edges of our own evolution, birthing new worlds into being through our bodies, our hearts, our minds, and our beautiful presence. If you would like to be in contact with me, I love hearing from you. You can find me on Instagram at elaine.kalila or over on my website elainekalila.com. And lastly, I'd like to invite you, if you loved this episode, to go ahead and share this with someone that you think might enjoy it too. It's through us sharing our hearts with one another and inspiring one another that we reveal our red, that evolutionary edge that is just waiting to be fully expressed in all aspects of our world until next time many many blessings